Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your faithfulness and your generosity. Lord, it seems as though we could never say enough thanks for how good you've been to us. Lord, I pray today that as we give back to you, Lord, that truly you would be honored. Help us to give with joyful hearts, not just because we have to, not because it's a requirement about being a Christian and all of a sudden we're supposed to give 10%. Instead, Lord, help us to give with a joyful heart that simply says, God, you have been so good to me. Lord, help us to give back saying thanks. Lord, we praise you today. I ask that you would help us to use the gifts that are given today for your glory and may your kingdom increase because of the faithful generosity of your people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. At this time, the ushers will come. As they do, I wanted to just give you a heads up on something that's going to be happening this next week. Um, next Sunday, the church will be participating in a pastoral recall vote. Uh, that does not happen often in the church. In fact, it's been three years since I came, or almost three years since I came. And uh, next Sunday, following the service, so as soon as the service ends, what will happen is Al Malasso, who is my vice chairman of the board, he will come and he will basically take over the, the meeting, uh, and you'll have the opportunity to simply vote on whether or not I will remain your pastor or whether or not you will find a new one, that kind of thing. So I will say this, that uh, this is somewhat new for me because I've only had one pastoral recall vote in my 23 years of ministry. So, uh, But that's okay because this is something that the Wesleyan Church does require. What I would ask you to do is uh, there, there are a couple of things. First of all, if you are a member or you are not a member, we still want you to have a voice. So what will happen is... Uh, there will be actually two separate ballots. Uh, if you are a member, you'll get one color. If you're not a member, you'll have another color. Uh, we want to hear from everyone, basically. We want to know if this ministry is moving in the right direction or not. Uh, so we do encourage you, whether you're a member or not, to at least participate in that process. The second thing that I would say is that uh, membership in the Wesleyan Church has changed over the years. And if you are curious as to what it means to be a member, even those who are already members... Uh, we have a membership class that will be starting next Sunday morning, and we would love to have anyone who might be curious come and be a part of that. If you would, if you'll let me know today, it'll just help me because we have workbooks that you'll have, and I just want to make sure that I have enough for everybody. Uh, so we'll be doing membership class starting next Sunday. Uh, by the way, we'll be doing this in both services. So uh, next Sunday, there'll be a group that basically anyone who is here for this service, you'll vote on me. I will already have gone because I can't actually facilitate that meeting while you're voting on me. Uh, so Al will do that and I'll go over there and then he'll do the exact same thing at the end of the second service as well. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there so everyone has an idea of what it's going to look like next Sunday morning. So don't think I'm being unsociable when I don't hang out with you after the service next Sunday. Uh, I'm actually not supposed to stick around uh, during that time. So, all right, this morning I want to share with you, and I want to, uh, actually I want to use two passages of Scripture, but they're really close to each other. In fact, uh, I will tell you that the chapters and verses in the Old and New Testament were added afterwards. Basically, it was all one continuous story. And in Romans chapter 5 and in Romans chapter 6, there is a break in between, but in reality, it could just be one story. So I'm actually going to use a portion of Romans chapter 5 today, and then I'm also 
going to use a portion from Romans chapter 6. So I'm going to begin by reading Romans 5 verses 15 to 17, and then I will uh, skip a little bit. We'll go to Romans chapter 6 verses 11 to 18. By the way, you really could use the entirety of Romans chapter 5 and 6 as one story. So Beginning with Romans chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, it says this, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the man died by the trespass of the one man, or if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and it brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. And then skipping down to Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, we read, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey, with, to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin. And have become slaves to righteousness. There is a common theme that is found within Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6. And it is this issue of reigning or no longer being a slave to something that we had no business being slaves to. But for so many of us, I'm afraid that we have become okay with actually being a slave to our world. Let me begin with a story this morning. There's two guys, their names are Roscoe and Bubba. They're killing some time one day when they discovered an abandoned well. Roscoe asked, well, how deep do you think it is? Bubba spit, and they listened for the spit to hit the bottom. When no sound emerged from the well, Bubba threw a rock and listened for a splash. Nothing. Roscoe found a cross tie and heaved it over into the well. Both men leaned over and listened for a sound, but they never heard the cross tie hit the bottom. While leaning over the well, the two men were surprised when a goat ran up to the edge of the well and he jumped in. A few moments later, a local farmer arrived at the scene and asked if the men had seen his goat. 
Roscoe said, sir, you're not going to believe this. But just a moment ago, a goat ran up, jumped into this well. The farmer said, no, that couldn't have been my goat. He was actually tied to a cross tie. <laughs> the rest of you will get that in a minute. They threw the cross tie in anyways. Often our Christian experience is like that episode of Roscoe and Bubba. Our lives are occupied with meaningless activities that lead us into trouble. We waste time on so many things and rarely does it bring about anything good. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not supposed to be that way, especially not for children of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says, How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Does that describe your life? Are you reigning? Are you ruling? Are you conquering the world around you? Many believers operate from a sin management philosophy. We live in guilt and shame because we fail to live up to the standard of holiness that is associated with following Christ. We hope to reduce the bad things in our lives instead of reigning in this life. If we can just kind of avoid some of the things, that would be good enough. Yet in reality, God has set us free and given us the opportunity not to exist, but rather to reign. We have become like a basketball team in a prevent defense, waiting for the clock to run out. We live trying not to lose the game instead of pressing on to the victory that God has promised to us. The first half of Romans chapter 5 describes our union with Christ. And in the closing verses of chapter 6 and the first part, chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6, we discover some principles for transferring the spiritual reality of eternal life to living with a new heart on a daily basis, which gives me the idea that this reigning is actually something that we ought to be doing, something that God has made possible through his grace. I don't have to live in the prevent defense, but rather I can live a victorious life knowing that he is the one who has made it possible for me to leave sin behind. His grace is extended to us. There are three principles I want you to gather from this passage this morning. The first one, and by the way, they're all going to deal a little bit with accounting today. You guys know that I went to college actually to be an accountant and God called me into ministry instead. And there are times that kind of the money thing comes out just in the way I think, just because that's the way I, I always was up until I became a pastor. By the way, money matters to the pastor too. Anyway, forget it. All right. The first point is this. We must recognize the payment. We must recognize the payment that has been made for us. To reign with a new heart, we must recognize the payment that Christ made, not just for sin, but for our new heart. It wasn't just that he was forgiving it, but this was actually a part of empowering us to live a different life today. Verse 17 mentions the gift resulting in justification. What does justification mean? That's a big word. To be justified is to be made basically 
just as if I had never sinned. It is to be brought together with God. God did not just redeem us from sin. He transformed our hearts. This transformation, I would say, is a factual thing. The historical references to Adam, to Moses, and to Christ, and the use of accounting terminology, not being charged to our account, which is the terms that we see in Scripture, illustrate the reality of this transaction. We may not feel like we have a new heart, but I will guarantee you that those who receive the grace have been promised a new heart in Jesus Christ. The moment we surrender our lives to him, he says, I will give you a new heart. The promise is universal. Salvation is not limited to only a few, but rather it is a gift that is given to all those who would respond to the grace that Jesus Christ has to offer. Jesus Christ didn't come to save only the Jews. He didn't come only to save only Americans. He didn't come only to save older generations. He came to save all of humanity. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But as God has given us this great gift, he says, you must receive. You must believe in order to receive. But as we believe, he promises to give us a new heart. The atoning sacrifice of Christ is also effectual and eternal. When one receives the grace of God... The result changes our life. Adam's sin had enormous consequences, but the sacrifice of Christ is much more effective. Where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. The life we receive is not guaranteed for seven years or 100,000 miles, but rather it is forever. His grace, nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, understand this. There is a whole theological debate that can come out of this. As in, well, does that mean I can do whatever I want? No, Paul actually addresses this as he's writing. He says, shall I continue in sin so that grace might abound even more? No way. If you have received the gift of Jesus Christ, if you have received his grace, you ought to live different than you did before. And I will guarantee you that as your heart is changed, as you become that new creation in him, God has given you a promise of eternal life and he's not going to take that away. But you must choose to live as if he is truly your God. The second principle that we must see is still a transactional item. It makes me think about my checkbook. Well, when I was responsible, do you remember when you had to write a check whenever you went to spend your money. And and when you wrote that check, you wrote down what you spent in your checkbook registry. Now I think we all use the computer or we use uh, some sort of program or app. Do you remember at least once per month having to reckon your checkbook? To, To make sure that everything matched up the way that it was supposed to? Well, this next principle is that we must reckon our position. The first one was recognize the payment. Now we must reckon our position. As the father of three children, I have heard a thousand times the question, are we there yet? Now, the answer seems obvious to me. If we were already there, then we wouldn't still be driving. Actually, my kids have actually shifted to that. How much longer? 
I admit it's the one time I don't always tell my kids the whole truth. The answer is always 10 more minutes. I remember telling, and I was being honest, I was telling Michael that it was 10, more, 10 minutes for us to get to someone's house. And he said, oh, that's going to take forever. And it's because he had heard that no matter how far we were away, it was 10 more minutes away. You know, as kids ask those questions, they ask particularly that question, are we there yet? We look at it and we think, well, duh, of course we're not there yet. But the inability of a child to comprehend this concept is not all that much different than our inability to appreciate our new position in Christ. Romans 6.11 says, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Eugene Peterson's The Message provides a helpful interpretation of our new identity or position when he says this, If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin and came up into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Peterson's analogy is dead on. When we receive the grace of God, it is like moving. We have a new address, but our new home is not just across the street. It's not just finding the place across the street that was a little bit nicer, maybe a little bit bigger. We are choosing from one, to move from one land to another land. We have moved from one country that speaks one language to a country that speaks a different language. We are now dead to sin. This doesn't mean that we'll never sin again. It means that sin no longer controls my life as it did before. I will tell you, God, he will give us the ability to overcome sin as well. And I know that's something also we debate sometimes. Can I really ever leave sin completely behind? Well, the thing is, Jesus called us to live holy lives, to even live perfect lives. And I know I'm a long way from it, but I believe that my God is able and he can make me pure. But I also believe that until that day comes, his grace will be sufficient to make up when I do fall short. I believe today that my God is more than able and he has made it possible for us to walk in victory, to live in freedom, and to no longer be dominated by the things that once controlled my life. There was a time in our lives that we had to succumb to the force of the world around us. We were like a tree limb that floated in the river. The river of sin controlled our lives and now we have the capacity, instead of being pushed along by the current, we can choose our actions. We are not a dead limb, but rather we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Salvation is a free gift, but it is also a growing change of perception and action. Our attitudes ought to be different. 
to reckon, to count, or to consider is an accounting term, and we make a conscious effort to adding to our lives spiritual disciplines that reflect the change of heart that God created when we received his gift of eternal life. The third principle is still an accounting type of principle. Imagine that you owned a large company. And as a part of your daily business, you received the opportunity to expand your business to an area where perhaps you've never been before. It's an unreached territory. You can't just keep doing things the way that you've always done it. Instead, you must redirect provisions. And that's going to be the phrase you're looking for there. You must redirect provisions. Having discussed the transformation of a heart that reigns in grace... Paul offers some practical suggestions for applying this concept to our daily lives. The Christian Standard Bible accurately captures the intensity of the challenge by translating verse 13 as weapons of unrighteousness and weapons of righteousness. The word weapon is the same root word that is used in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 where we are instructed to put on the full armor of God. Now, that may seem like a minor detail to us, but consider your response to the following options. What comes to mind when I ask you to participate in a ministry project that requires you to bring a shovel and a saxophone? Consider how different your response might be if I said to you, I need your help with an outreach project. Bring your pistol with you. Now, obviously, when I talk about bringing your saxophone or your shovel, you're thinking we're going on a mission trip or we're going to somebody's house and we're going to do some manual labor and maybe even sing some songs while we're doing it. But when I tell you to bring your pistol, you're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Consider how foreign that idea must have been as Paul talks about bringing your full armor, bringing your weapons with you. With tremendous intensity, we must starve the flesh, satisfy the spirit, and stay away from something that sometimes we have struggled with in the Wesleyan Church, and that's legalism. Many men are bored with Christianity because they see following Christ as a program of study to be a good person. But God has called us to be valiant warriors, Not just good people, valiant warriors who would train our bodies to be a weapon in battle for righteousness. The training begins with starving the old nature or the sinful flesh. Don't offer any parts of it to sin. We must guard ourselves from the destructive influences that are all around us. It is so easy to get sucked into sin, but we have no business playing with it. Wickedness does not reign in the life of a believer, but wickedness does reside in our old nature. We must not overestimate our ability to resist sin. We are still human beings. One of the greatest passages to me is found in the book of James, where the book of James, the author calls us to resist the devil and he must flee. But there is a Verse that sometimes we forget, and it's right beside there. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You see, the reality is Satan has no reason to flee from you. 
but he does have a reason to flee from God. It makes sense that as we draw near to God, he is here with us, and therefore when we resist, now Satan has a reason to flee. It's kind of like when you were a kid growing up on the playground and your big brother came up and all the bullies all of a sudden liked you or they got away from you. When you draw near to God, he is the one who gives us the ability to walk in freedom and victory. He is the one who overcomes for us. We must starve the flesh, but we also must satisfy the spirit. Jesus said that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would be filled. We can feed our souls on spiritual food. Using the previous example of moving to a new country, we should learn the language. We should see the sights. We should eat at local restaurants. When my family travels to different places, we tend to eat, restaurant, eat at restaurants that serve foods that are unique to that area. When we go to the beach, well, we eat seafood. That's just what you're supposed to do. When we visited South Dakota, we ate buffalo burgers, the only place I've ever had buffalo burgers. When we go to the Caribbean, whether it's in Haiti or Jamaica, we eat spicy jerk chicken. Why? Because that's what everyone eats there. In the kingdom of God, we must eat meat from the word of God. Drink the fresh water of worship. And feast on the fruit of prayer. In verse, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Paul warns us to stay away from this sense of legalism. But more than that, he is calling us to embrace what really matters, which is him. The Bible identifies legalism as one of the most dangerous threats to genuine faith. Prayer, Bible study, church attendance, stewardship, evangelism, all of those are they're good things, but you know what? Sometimes they've been victimized by legalism. Individuals and some denominations have embraced legalistic standards in an attempt to establish disciplined Christians. Maturity has often been defined by adherence to those things, making sure that you're keeping those things. But the truth is, what matters is not necessarily those things as much as it is the God that we are seeking. I've shared with you recently that I've been trying to exercise a little bit more. I actually have an app on my phone that monitors what I eat. It also monitors how much I exercise. And when I say that the app on my phone uh, monitors what, I what kind of exercise I do, it's really just a step counter. And every night when I get ready to go to bed, I look at the steps and determine whether or not it's been a good day. But you know what? It's easy for me to get to a point where I'm more interested in the steps and making sure that I got my steps in. And it's possible for me to forget what the real reason was in doing this. The real reason is because I want to be healthier than what I was before. I want to make sure that my body is there for a long time so that I can enjoy not only my kids, but my grandkids and even my great-grandchildren. It is so easy for me to just get caught up in the, well, I walked my 10,000 steps today. But am I healthier today than what I was before? You see, in the same way, spiritually speaking, I think at times we've been caught up in the actions rather than truly focusing on who the actions were intended for us to reach. I seek Jesus Christ above all else. I do so 
through reading scripture, through spending time in prayer, by worshiping. But those things, they're actions that get me to what I really want, which is him. Legalism can turn the task into the target. Our goal is not to pray, it's not to tithe. They're good things. In fact, I encourage you to do both. But our goal is Christ. We must seek him with everything. And that's a part of that new heart, allowing God to now reign in us. Several years ago, I saw an interview with the former head football coach of the Houston Oilers. They're not even the Houston Oilers anymore. His name was Bum Phillips. Whoever named a guy Bum, uh, what was his mom and dad? That's probably a nickname, anyways. A reporter asked Coach Phillips about Earl Campbell, who at that time was the most dominating running back in the NFL. Coach, is it true that Campbell did not complete the one mile required of all players at training camp? Coach Phillips, who was known for his simplistic view of life, said, yep. The reporter said, does it concern you that Campbell is not in shape? Phillips said, nope. A football field is not a mile long. We should learn from Coach Phillips to stay focused on the main objective. He did not need a running back who could run a mile. And we don't need to live as legalistic managers trying to produce good little saints. Instead, we need to live as those who have been redeemed by our God with a new heart that allows us to genuinely seek after him and for him to simply pour into us. That's what Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6 is about. This whole month of February has been a focus on the heart. And I would challenge you to simply examine your heart today and ask the question, is my heart truly right with God? Because the reality is there are likely many who attend church, whether it's this church or another church, every Sunday. Yet we are going through the motions of church. We're legalistically trying to follow each of these different creeds, these expectations that are upon us. And God says, but look at me. Look at me. I'm not telling you that it's bad for you to read your Bibles. I encourage you, read your Bibles every day, multiple times throughout the day. I'm not telling you that it's bad for you to attend church. I encourage you, attend church every time the doors are open. I think it's a great practice. I'm not telling you not to tithe. Tithe, it's what God calls us to do. But I'm telling you, don't get caught up in all those things. Instead, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. And now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on him. And as you do, he will empower you to walk in freedom and victory. And you will not just play defensively. You will reign in this life. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we confess that there have been times that we have been content with just doing enough. Just maintaining in this life. When in reality, you have called us to reign in this life. 
You've called us to no longer be enslaved by sin, but to walk in victory and freedom. To know the power of your spirit in us to overcome sin. And in those moments, when perhaps we fall short of that, to know that your grace is what makes up the difference. Lord, I pray today that if there be one that truly their heart is not seeking after you, I pray that in this very moment, they would surrender everything to you and that you would empower them to now walk in victory and freedom. I don't know what struggles may be present. Maybe there's one that's struggling with an addictive lifestyle. Maybe it's a sin that nobody else knows about. Maybe it's something that everybody else has excused. Lord, today I ask that you would set us free so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, but rather we would be slaves to righteousness. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be made new and begin in our hearts. Lord, may you be honored in us as we walk as your children. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I do thank you for being with us this morning. And by the way, I forgot to give you this, an update. Last Sunday, we had a fundraiser for our trip to Haiti, and we are continuing to raise money. But last Sunday was a great fundraiser. We had about $2,400 that came in. Our goal was about $1,500. So we celebrate that. Uh, if you would like to support that, we welcome that. But at the same time, I wanted to say thanks for what you had done. Uh, if you would, celebrate with each other. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.